Well, Merry Christmas. Who needs Sylvie Palladino and Marina Pryor when you've got Robin and you've got Ali and, and that? Who's that old crusty grey guy that sings O Jerusalem or whatever that one was last night if you watched the... That was no reference to you, Brett. Oh. No. <laughs> I reckon we need to do that song one day, that, that Jerusalem one. That's, well, I don't know what it's called. Anyway, the Holy City. I reckon that's a Missy Hewitt's favourite for sure. <clears throat> All the little kids, you guys have a special treat uh, while I speak for the next three and a half hours. Um, and Elise up the back has a little colouring in pack, an activity pack that you can go and grab and some textures and come back to your seats and sit down and do some colouring in to keep you, um, your minds focused over the next little while. So if you want to go and grab your little activity pack kids, you can go and do that just now. Um, I got some pretty special presents this morning. Um, my, um, among them was a piece of uh, off-cut malamine that I had in the backyard that Poppy had drawn a wonderful Merry Christmas, love you dad, in all kinds of colours and it was beautiful and uh, Banjo had made me a wonderful cross out of two sticks in the garden and he'd, he'd woven them together with a piece of Christmas uh, wrapping kind of uh, ribbon and he'd written Jesus on it and happy, uh, Merry Christmas dad, love Banjo 2022. Rocky had drawn me a picture of me uh, holding a fish and gave me some fishing lures and uh, look, we say we don't have favourites, we try not to, but Ronnie's present was, I think, the favourite. It's called the Bouncy Cart, and the Bouncy Cart uh, was a creation of Ronnie's while I was away this week, and um, it's a milk crate that I had lying around in the backyard, and a piece of uh, rubber tubing that I'm not sure, quite sure where he found it or what it was from, um, probably one of the scrap piles in my shed, and he's managed to tie, you know, if you can't tie knots, tie lots. He's tied lots of things. And it's, uh, the rubber is a handle and it's a bouncy cart. And you can put things in the bouncy cart and it's quite, uh, it's quite functional, actually. I found it surprisingly wonderful and ergonomic to hold. And I think that the bouncy cart is perhaps my favourite present of Christmas so far. I think it outdoes Elisa's recycling bin that I was so generous to get her. But I was reminded this morning, and, it, and I hope to demonstrate from the word this morning, um, that the, the message of Christmas is that God loves to put things back together. That things that are disparate parts, things that are seemingly broken, things that appear to maybe have no use anymore, things that are laying around the yards of our life, God can bring those things back together in a work of completeness and restoration, and that is part of the message of Christmas. This month, we've been preaching through a series called Heaven Sent. If you've just joined us for today, that's where we've been, and feel free to um, catch up in your own time. It's all on our, all the messages on, online. And we've meandered our way through John chapter 1 and been dining out on a glorious feast of uh, John's spectacular revelation of the wonder and truth of who Jesus is and what he, as God himself, sent from heaven to earth, came to achieve. And John writes that he is the true light that gives light to everyone. And this light being Jesus himself 
did not keep himself at a distance, but came to dwell among us. God with skin and bones on, full of grace and truth. We've looked at how Jesus um, is sent um, as heaven sent light, as heaven sent grace, as heaven sent truth. And today, in the very short time we have, I want to speak on the topic of heaven sent love. Before I move on, though, I want to acknowledge the difficulty that this time of year also is for many people. You know, the the pretty lights, the dazzling lights, and uh, the presents, and the wrapping, and the festivities, and all of the fanfare that goes with Christmas, they can be a glossy cover on what is often a terrible story for many. And as Daz Farrell mentioned as he preached just a couple of weeks ago, that this time of year can have an amplification principle to it where the fissures within our families and the isolation that we all feel at times, uh, the financial pressures that are upon us and families that we know, the expectation to be or to appear a certain way at this time of year can always mound up. Any or all of these can, in fact, turn up the noise of loneliness and the anxieties that we can experience in their many forms. And just the tiredness of trying to make it through another year. I know this though, that the message of Christmas is one of hope. Not a wishy-washy hope, but a hope grounded in Emmanuel, God with us. And so I am confident this morning that you can and will meet Emmanuel. God who is present among us today to comfort, to heal, and to draw near. Now, coming into this, the end of this year, I've felt like a toy plane. Now, bear with me. One of those ones that is flown by winding up a propeller that's attached to a rubber band. Do you know the ones I'm talking about? Just a standard plane, propeller at the front, and you just keep twisting and twisting and twisting the rubber band. If you've ever used one of these, you'll know what I'm talking about, and if you haven't, it's not that too difficult concept to imagine. You just keep turning it, and as the rubber band keeps building up with pressure and pressure and pressure, until just the right moment when there's enough in there, you let it go, and it takes flight, which is the point. It's meant to be wound up. It's how it gets propulsion. It's quite simple, really. The problem in the equation, however, is... If you wind the propeller too many times, beyond what it's built to withstand, beyond its rated load, you know what'll happen, right? That rubber band will snap and the plane will have nothing to take off with. Perhaps like me, you felt almost like you're at a breaking point coming into this Christmas like one more event, like one more trip to the shops, like one more decision, like one more sick kid, like one more thing to be at, one more conflict or hard conversation to navigate, one more holiday plan to change or to execute will be like the internal rubber band exploding within your chest, wreaking havoc on your soul. If that's you, I'm right there with you. I see you and I have faith that God will graciously 
and he will kindly unwind the tension in your heart. Now, I'm doubling down this Christmas on the biblical claim that asserts that the more broken, weak, and in need someone or something is, the more God's power to act, to heal, and to restore is evident. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in my weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So friends, today, this Christmas, I have faith that God will meet you both in the joyous celebration that your Christmas day will be with family, friends, or wherever may you find yourself. But God will also, I am confident, meet you in what are the hardships and the points of pain in your life. And I'll be praying for you, and please pray for me, that each, for each other, that our tiredness and our weariness and all of those things, as well as our joy, would be a birthplace of the miraculous. That we would get a Christmas miracle of renewal in our hearts and our minds, in who God has created us to be as humans who walk this earth with a sense of calling and purpose. I believe God wants to restore those things to his people. So let's pray into that quickly and I'll continue on. God, I thank you that you are here, Emmanuel. God with us. That this is the moment that we stop and take pause and reflect And when you decisively move toward us, running toward your creation to show love like it has never been shown before, to forgive and to redeem and to heal and to restore and to comfort and to see your character played out across this earth, one of love and compassion and mercy. And Father, we pray that we would meet you, the God of love and compassion and mercy this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, they don't build things like they used to anymore, do they? I've got an example here. and This, this one here is a clamp that was my great-grandfather's, made of steel, and it's probably at least 100 years old, and it is going strong. I'll use it. It is unbreakable, it is dependable, never have to use WD-40 on it. Doesn't have, it's out of its warranty period by about 100 years. Um, it is just an absolute solid rock. In contrast, is this piece of trash that I bought at Bunnings about a year ago, and it's, it's still so new, it's got the little tag little bit on there, and it's already broken. In fact, I had two of them, but about six months, I threw the other one out, Already, this one would be lucky to last 100 days, let alone the 100 years that the old one would last. I mean, there seems to be, this could be a picture of what would be the disposability of life in nowadays. And there seems to be an increasing disposability of things, no matter what it is. You know, if it's broken, we just chuck it these days. You know, even if your printer runs out of ink, it's cheaper to go and buy a new one. Chuck the printer, buy a new one with ink comes with it. 
It's just disposable. If it's not working, we replace it. If it's faulty, we flick it. And gone are the days of repairing or fixing things. I know it's cool to wear torn clothes, but if so much of a, as a button you know, falls off these days, we just chuck them out and replace them. You know, technology and computers, when they slow down or stop walking, working, we, we toss them out and we buy new ones. If our iPhones get a crack in the screen, you know, some people are happy to put up with it, but most people would use that as a catalyst because it's so crazily expensive to get a new one in. Might as well just get a new one. My, my grandparents would be mortified at what we throw out. I mean, beyond tangible things like toys or tools or technology, what about aspects of life that are of far greater worth? You know, I wonder if what we've become acclimatised to doing with uh, things in the physical world that are broken has wriggled its way into what we do with aspects of life that aren't made in a factory somewhere. I mean, if you think about it, marriages... You know, they aren't made in a factory or sold in a store. But the story is all too familiar. When conflict arises, when priorities clash, when finances become strained, when the hard work of selfless love becomes all too much, there's an all too easy story that just says, let's chuck it in. You know, the disposability of marriage and other relationships in our lives is a scar on the social landscape of our time. What are our jobs? If it's just not working out, we leave. You know, if the buzz around our employment just isn't there or the boss isn't as cool as what we thought or we can't work at home for as long as what we would have hoped, we just dispose of it and grab another one. I mean, even to some extent, our kids, when our emotional capacities get stretched to the limit or... You know, when it just gets all too much, the overwhelming household at war over who is sitting where at the dinner table. We outsource the hard work of parenting to iPads and TV screens. We don't have to look too far into our government histories. And if he or she or any politician is not performing either a little or a lot or they're unpopular, they get knifed, they get ousted, disposable people. I mean, even the churches that we can find ourselves part of or other community groups we can find ourselves part of, if, it, if they stop ticking, ticking our boxes or tickling our fancies, we just dispose of that one and we can go and pick up another one somewhere else. Now, since the beginning of time, humanity has managed to break what God made good. Where harmony was intended, war has erupted. Where love was planned, hate so easily takes over, where community has been seeded by God in our world, it is so easily divided, where governments were appointed to care, they've become corrupted, where progress was meant to create flourishment, it's become about greed, where the natural world was designed to wow us and to connect us, we've consumed it, burnt it, polluted it and neglected it where homes were meant to be places of safety and refuge, for many they've become places of violence and abuse. Where cities and parks were created for entertainment and relaxation, they've become bedrooms for the homeless. Where adolescence was a time in life where young people would learn and explore and adventure and grow, has become a laboratory for the latest drug 
Where food was meant to sustain us, it has consumed us. Where social media was meant to connect us, it has entrapped us. Where diversity was meant to enrich us, racism has divided us. Where generosity was meant to free us, greed has grabbed hold of us. From Adam and Eve to the very first Christmas and right up until this very moment, people have lived in a broken world, marred by broken systems, led and lived in by broken people. And I want to suggest that deep down there is a yearning for what is broken to be fixed, to see restored that which has been stuffed and to complete what has been left undone in our world. I mean, Blind Freddy could tell you that this planet is thirsty for the drenching rains of renewal, a collective cry of the human heart for God's healing and restorative presence, for the peace of God to fall upon the parched lands of our hearts and upon the parched lands of our country and our world, for God's restorative presence to be poured out to soak us with his love and his completeness and to restore us in the very deepest places of our hearts. So you may be wondering, what does fixing things have to do with Christmas? Well, kind of everything, I believe. Not just because the dodgy toy you bought your annoying nephew will break by Boxing Day and they'll be coming to you to have it fixed, but because Christmas is about celebrating the one who fixes broken things. Moreover, celebrating the one who fixes broken people and our broken world. There's a word that is used a lot at Christmas. It's plastered across shop fronts. It's lit up in flashing lights across people's homes. It's splashed uh, in ink across Christmas cards the world over. More relevantly, though, it's a word that was used by the prophet Isaiah to remind the Jewish people who their coming king, their saviour, the one who'd restore all things, the one who had been promised throughout history to them, who they had awaited for donkey's years to set them free, who he would be. And the word Isaiah uses, albeit among others, is the word peace. And I promise I didn't put Rocky up to knowing that Bible verse this morning. He's not even listening. (laughs) Isaiah chapter 9. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace, and the greatness of his government and his peace, there will be no end. Now this God child who came from heaven to earth, who was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit, impregnated and delivered into this world via the body of a young virgin girl named Mary. He was both fully God and fully man. He grew up and lived a life where there was no sin in him. He lived perfectly like nobody else ever has. He went through a cross where he took my sin and he took your sin. He took the awful things done to you and he took the awful things done to me. And he finished with them once and for all. And he declared it from the cross. It is finished. And God's wrath moved on. Then after his death, he rose again to life bodily 
and physically three days later. And shortly after that, he sent his Holy Spirit to fill his people. And he ascended into heaven and he's going to come back again one day, both bodily and physically. This is the one who we worship today, Jesus. He is the Prince of Peace and there will be no end to his peace. Now the word peace in the Bible is translated in Hebrew from the word shalom. And shalom often means the absence of hostility and war. But further than that, and Nat Fuller, she preached an an incredible message on this just a couple of weeks ago, there is a deeper, more profound meaning to shalom, where we get peace from, and that is restoration and completeness. See, Christmas is when we sit with the story of God, understanding that he decisively entered into humanity, into the muckiness And the yuckiness of sin, of evil, of hatred, of broken lives and broken systems, to make them right again, to restore and to make complete. And today we are here to worship a God who came running to us, a God not content to see his creation suffer at the hands of its own demise, but to enter willingly and lovingly into it to see it healed and renewed and restored, to enter into our story, that this Christmas I stop and I appreciate and I sit with Jesus as he has entered into my story, into my tiredness, into my pain, into my best and into my worst, into your tiredness, into your pain, into your weariness, into your hard things, into your best and into your worst not just in word, but in body himself and declare restoration and peace and completeness upon it and us. Today we celebrate God coming to restore and make whole, not to judge and destroy and throw out or chuck out or replace, but to love and redeem and make it right again. And friends, that is heaven sent love. I'll finish up with a story from Luke chapter 7 that shows us the power of what heaven-sent love looks like. There's a Pharisee named Stephen, and Stephen was a bit of a religious bigwig, one of the big dogs, top dogs, the big cats, whatever you like to call them. And he thought he'd invite Jesus over for dinner, as these Pharisees like to do, get Jesus into a place where they could corner him to catch him off guard. And while Jesus was kicking back at the table, eating his cheese and bickies before the main meal, probably a few olives, salamis, like a grazing board, he's reclined at the table just enjoying all of the fare that was before him. A lady came in the side door and she looked at Jesus as he was sitting there eating and she came up behind him uh, weeping. Uh, Not entirely sure why she was um, in such an emotional state, but nonetheless, there she was as Jesus was enjoying the pre-dinner snacks. There's a woman behind him in tears, heartbroken, tears rolling down her face, and she gets down onto the ground and lowers herself to, to allow the tears of her cheeks fall on his feet. And then she gets down onto her hands and her knees and 
She uses her hair to start wiping and, and, and washing Jesus' feet with her tears and with her hair. And then she gets some expensive jar of, of perfume and she pours that out onto his feet in an incredible display of love and of affection. Meanwhile, in the background, there was a guy called Simon. And Simon was murmuring to the guys around, hey guys, if Jesus really was a prophet, he would know what that woman has done. If Jesus really was who he has said he is, he would know that she is a sinner. He would know what she has been up to in the dark of the night and there is no way that he would be letting her do that if he had known. Now Simon, with this woman's brokenness, he was judging her. He was dismissing her. He was rejecting her. He was throwing her out. He was looking for a reason for her exclusion, her isolation, her dismissal. Almost like she's the throwaway plastic knives, forks and plates that you use when you're done with them at the end of a dodgy meal. But I love what Jesus does with this lady's brokenness. He, with eyes of compassion, turned to this woman. With eyes full of kindness and love, patience and mercy, heartbroken for why she was there and what got her to that place. He whispers in her ear, daughter, not sinner, not you got it wrong, not how you get out of here, how you don't belong, daughter. He says, daughter, your sins are forgiven. Go in peace. Go in shalom. Go in restoration. Go in completeness. See, where we throw people out, God welcomes them in. Where we replace people, God restores them. Where we give up on them, God gives himself up for them. Where we scrap them, Jesus saves them. Where we want to punish, Jesus releases his peace. And the thing is, it's not just that we do that to others. If you're anything like me, we can so easily do it to ourselves. We reject who we truly are. We give up on ourselves, we discredit ourselves, we believe we're too far gone, too unlovable, too unforgivable, too much hard work and not worth the effort. And can you imagine this woman walking away from that moment with Jesus as he says, go in peace, your sins are forgiven. I can only imagine for the very first time the freedom in this woman's heart that for all of her life she has been judged, she has been excluded, she has been rejected, she has been tarred by the brush of sinner because of what she has done, her reputation has gone before her and she has been dealt harshly because of that. But in this moment of transformation, Jesus looks her in the eyes and says, daughter, go complete, go whole. 
for the very first time receiving mercy instead of judgment, welcome and not rejection, compassion and not callousness, forgiveness, not revenge, peace, not punishment, she would have been free. And friends, this is the great news of Jesus for you today. The message of heaven sent love, that today Jesus stands among us as the risen King and he says, son, daughter, go to Christmas lunch today in peace. Go in completeness. Go in restoration. Go made new. See, when Jesus sees you, he doesn't see a bent-up bike on a council clean-up pile destined for the scrap. He sees a creation to be redeemed and renewed. He sees a life full of possibility. He sees a wonderful creation, one laden with potential and purpose. He sees new creation, a life through which his power can be seen at work as things are made new in you. And so let me leave you with a couple of truths to remind you that God is not done with you yet. That you were built to last, just like great-grandpa's clamp. I mean, it's probably not going to go forever, but it just about could. You are an eternal being called and created to live in the presence of God forever. Your life isn't the sum total of your mistakes nor your successes. His favourite project is an imperfect person and a hurting heart. The Bible is replete with the fact and the truth that God hears the cries of his people. You are not too far gone for God to restore. You aren't what you've done. You're a work in progress in the hands of a healing God. You are in the hands of a God who works with tools of love and kindness and compassion, not anger and judgment and hate. You were created on purpose, with a purpose, and he's a God who never gives up. He is the Prince of Peace, the one who makes things right. Let me leave you Romans 5.1. Therefore, since we have been justified, since we have been made right through faith, there's nothing that we can do to make ourselves right. No amount of turning up to church, no amount of helping old ladies across the road, no amount of doing the right thing when you need to be doing the right thing that can make you right. It is faith in Jesus that makes us right. And since we've been made right through putting our faith in Jesus, we have peace, we have completion, we have wholeness with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And so, friends, my invitation to you is to go and to celebrate in the shalom of God, knowing that you were bought at a price, that you have been forgiven, that you are a work in progress, that God is doing a work of completion and healing and renewal in your life. He loves to fix broken things, and I love being part of that story. Let me pray. I'll invite the uh, our team to come up and lead us out in a song. Let's stand together. Father, I recognise that uh, I feel like my life is like the milk crate that's just been sitting around in the backyard for too long, not doing much. You look at the, the scraps and the bits and pieces that are laying around and you are a creative God who loves to bring things back together and 
I'm grateful that you can make new things out of old things and you can fix things which are broken. And Father, I pray that as we look to the story of Christmas and how you entered the world as the Prince of Peace, the Prince of Restoration, the Prince of Healing, the Prince of Completion, that you are the one who fixes broken things. And Father, I ask this Christmas that you would do that work among us, that you would fix what is broken in our lives, that you would keep fixing the things that are broken in our world. Father, I pray for the broken people of our city who don't have a home to go to today, who don't have a family to share a meal with, the families who are fleeing situations that they were never meant to be in in the first place. Father, I pray that there would be a visitation of your Holy Spirit into their circumstances right now and that they would be reminded that Emmanuel is here, that the God of love and the God of peace and the God of restoration is upon them. And Father, I pray that as we go from here to the various lunch tables and dinner tables and events that we all go to, that that same truth would reside in our hearts, that Emmanuel is here, the Prince of Peace is here, The wonderful counsellor is here. That to your peace there is no end. To your work of healing in our lives there is no end. So Father, we worship you, the one who stepped into our situation, the one who came running toward us, the one who has made the first move, the one who has done so much that we could know you. Lord, I pray that our hearts would turn to you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.